0: Indonesia's political liberties have progressed since the Reformation era began in 1998. However, in recent years, civil liberties in the country appear to be eroding with laws and regulations that limit freedom of expression and even instances where the government has restricted access and even shut off the internet. What's driving this trend? And what does this say about Jokowi as he embarks on the second term? There's no better person to discuss this with than Bangbang Harimurti. Bang Bang Harimurti, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. This is Indonesia In-Depth. I'm Sean Corrigan. Bangbang is a veteran Indonesian journalist and the former editor-in-chief of Indonesia's most respected media outlet, Tempo Magazine. He retired a few years ago, but continues to be involved in journalism and has been advocating for freedom of expression in freedom of the press in Indonesia and internationally. One such country is Myanmar.
1: Yeah, I, actually, I was uh, asked by UNESCO, seconded to the uh, Minister of Information in Myanmar, and we drafted the first press law and also the broadcast law. So you
0: may remember Colonel Yeitut? Power. who was the Minister yeah. of Information. We've interviewed I mean, him as well. You
1: have to understand, this is the first time in our country, the peaceful transition of power to one elected government to the other elected government. Because um, past, i met him many times yeah. in, yeah. in yeah. Myanmar. Yeah. Yes. Very interesting would- person. Yeah. Very interesting because he actually uh, assisted a lot in when I was drafting this uh, broadcast law and also the press law and also the uh, creation of the Myanmar uh, press council, temporary press council at the time, as an independent press council. Uh, Colonel Jetut was very much uh, supporting that idea. In fact, I think at that time, it was better supported than in the current regime. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't that optimistic of the situation mm, there now. Yeah. And then you, UNESCO also asked me to help with the Tun- Tunisians during the mm-hmm. uh, spring there, the, democratic spring there and I was tasked to help the committee on the parliament to build the new constitution so I was uh, assisting the parliamentarian in drafting the uh, you know some articles that uh, has to do with the freedom of expression in their new constitution which fortunately enough was all of this article were passed by the parliament uh, wow. as their new constitution so I told my Indonesian fellow actually now constitutionally the protection of freedom of expression in Tunisia is much better than in Indonesia. Interesting, is mm. it? Yeah. So it's impossible for instance by the new constitution in Tunisia to have a, a blasphemy law. Fascinating, yeah. Where where here there there is. There is, yeah. Uh... <laughs>
0: So in 1998, mm. um, the reform and pro-democracy uh, movement began in Indonesia after President Suharto stepped down for almost 32 years in, in office. Major reforms took place and there was remarkable progress that occurred in a relatively short period of time. There was a shift uh, from a centralized system to Mm. a decentralized system. A free press emerged, uh, along with competitive elections uh, and special autonomy to some areas such as Papua and also Aceh. So there were major changes at the time. Despite all the progress that has been made, we appear to be seeing some threats towards freedom of expression now. Mm. Uh, And it actually started probably in the late 2000s. And it seems to be increasing in recent years. Uh, freedom of speech and freedom of the press are important yeah. uh, aspects of democracy. Uh, the decline in freedom of expression began under the uh, Yudhoyono administration, yeah. and it seems to continue to decline, and some have said uh, even accelerated under mm. uh, President Widodo, yeah. despite the high hopes that people had on him as being the man of the people and so on. In 2017, President uh, Widodo said he believed that democracy was a bit excessive in Indonesia and uh, allowed fundamentalism and anti-Pancasila doctrines to grow. Organizations such as Freedom House, um, which is an independent uh, democracy watchdog, uh, says that Indonesia's status is went from free to partially free under Yudhiyono and has continued to decline. Many other polls have said the same, including uh, LSI, who recently conducted a poll just this year, and it says that uh, freedom of expression has deteriorated under um, Jokowi. I think some of the most important instruments that have been threatened uh, freedom of expression at times, and also freedom of the press, are the 2009 Electronic Information and Transaction Law, or ITE, the regulation in Leo of Law on mass organizations. Mm-hmm. That was in 2017, the proposed uh, cybersecurity bill, Mm -hmm. which is in Parliament as we we speak. Also, the criminal code bill, which is also in Parliament. And recently, just last month, was the civil servant regulation on anti-radicalism and strengthening nationality framework. Also, now the push to amend the Constitution, Mm -hmm. which could potentially bring back indirect elections. One ironic point was that the term people power now is seen as a, a threatening word, yeah. where in 1998, it was highly regarded. Yeah. What is driving this trend of a decline in freedom of expression in Indonesia? Is it a global phenomenon
1: or is it local dynamics? I think it's both. Uh, because you know, if you go all over the world, uh, the similar trend happening. Uh, but the local part of it is, I think also part of it is natural. If you see any other countries that's gone through new uh, democratic uh, countries, they go through where they have a good freedom, and then slowly the oligarch came back and slowly uh, taking power from the people. And that's why we have a term of limit, because you can imagine without term limit, we would have Mm -hmm. even worse uh, condition. Mm -hmm. Indonesia's uh, two two five-year terms? Two five-year term, yeah. And even then, now they were talking about uh, abolishing this uh, two year term mm-hmm. uh, as a show of uh, what I call a decline in our uh, uh, political rights. And the other thing is, I think what you mentioned is mainly the decline in civil liberties. Mm-hmm. I think, in terms of political rights, uh, the decline is not so much. But civil liberties, especially last year, uh, we have, uh, I think, in Freedom House, we lost uh, uh, two points. And a year before, we lost one point, mainly because now the government uh, is cracking down uh, with the help of political parties on uh, what we call the dissenting voice. And, uh, and and this is also like in other countries, they say it's uh, to protect people from fake news or yeah. hoaxes and so on. So uh, we have to be careful with this. And uh, even... Uh, government now planning to have a new law called the data uh, protection law. I think we have to also to be wary Mm -hmm. of this because uh, it might be uh, actually a problem for freedom of expression. Uh, But having said that, it's not only on the legal term in the term of uh, new law or application of old laws, but we also have problem on the economic side. Because as you know with the this digitalization, the business model of the old independent media is under pressure. And the new business model is not yet established. So most of independent and, and even not independent uh, media is under financial pressure. And they have to find a new uh, way, a mm-hmm. new business model. So that's one thing. and. And when you cut down on costs in business, uh, one of the highest costs when you are in the news business is investigation. So investigative uh, reporting, I think probably only Tempo left doing investigative reporting now. I agree. And I can can understand because when I was CEO, it doesn't make business sense in the short term for investigative. It costs a lot. Absolutely. It, It is a high risk. You might at least end up paying a lawyer a lot for defending yeah. yourself yeah. in the court and and you know that well yeah mm-hmm. and then yeah, and then you might lose some uh you know client in advertising because they were not happy with uh, the way you investigated their, their their businesses or something so when you uh, so I think if tempo is doing this is not because of a business interest but because uh you know that's was supposed to do, and in the long term, it's a good business. But the problem, like uh, Mac, uh, like uh, most economists says is in the long term we are all dead, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So <laughs> how to survive uh, until uh, you, uh, you know, you benefit from this long term? Kemudian pers kita masih partly free. Jadi seberapa bebas pers kita tergantung seberapa besar nyalinya wartawan kita itu aja. Nyalinya wartawan kita itu aja. But the other thing is also the society. I think we ha- we are also having a value war now. A, between, a value yeah, war. Value war between the conservative traditionalists and you know the progressive. I think if the push to uh, in the reform 20 years ago was clearly the tide of the progressive, uh, I think now you have a counter tide of the conservative. And uh, you can see some of the problem uh, facing by journalists now is no longer attack from government, but sometimes attack from civil society, Mm -hmm. either through digital, you know, by doxing or media, social media, or uh, other kind of pressures. And this is not easy. I mean, because now if you are a journalist and you are very critical of certain group, they are not only in the old days, they probably sue you or they probably uh, send you mobs. Now, apart from that, they also send you digital mobs. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they, they hire uh, buzzers to attack uh, personally uh, all, all the reporters or journalists involved in the investigation. In the case of Tempo, they even attack the apps of Tempo. And it, when we did uh, investigation, you can see that it's not really attacked by individuals, but attacked by uh, robots and all these things. And mm-hmm. who can afford to yeah. run robots uh, to attack you? Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now people with a lot of money has a new tool to attack the press uh, using digital means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. And when I said earlier that you know
1: that situation well, because you spent time in jail, mm-hmm. correct? Uh, well, I didn't spend time in jail. I almost spent time mm-hmm. in jail. But fortunately, the Supreme Court, uh, uh, you know, acquitted me mm-hmm, in my mm-hmm. case. Yeah. And that was a result of writing an investigative piece. Yes. Yeah. It was running an investigative team, uh, investigative team, which in normal countries, it should be the the person who sued me should be in jail instead of and yeah, <laughs> the uh, investigate them, yeah. Interesting. Hingga hari ini, pemerintah masih membatasi akses media sosial. Pembatasan ini diklaim mampu meredam beredarnya konten, provokasi, dan hoax. Pembatasan sementara akses ke media sosial atau layanan pesan singkat ini sudah diperlakukan sejak tanggal 20. Indonesia has cut off internet access in unrest hit Papua over fears that offensive and racist. Earlier
0: this year that we've seen some instances where the Indonesian government began to either throttle or mm. shut off the, yeah. the internet uh, at times. Uh, one instance was during uh, and after protests in Jakarta related to the constitutional mm. court decision on the election results, uh, where several protesters were killed. Mm. Um, the internet in Jakarta uh, metro area was throttled mm. to prevent sharing of, of mm. files and videos and photos. Later, a complete shutdown happened in Papua and West Papua uh, after unrest occurred there. Uh, The government said that both cases they were preventing hoaxes and disinformation which could lead to to violence the government said that this method of limiting communication was very effective in both cases in jakarta and also in papua and there was little public criticism i think Mm. uh, about it especially in jakarta
1: yeah i think uh because i think the government has been quite successful in managing the flow of information through all the regulation and the actions they are taking uh, but uh, it does not shut everybody out because, for instance, uh, if you go to the court now, the civil society is suing the the government on on the on the shutdown of internet in Papua. This is sh- the show that you know we are not silent on this. Mm-hmm. So there, yeah, there is you know, some yeah, criticism. Yeah, yeah, there is a, there is a legal challenge, mm-hmm. and you know even the most ardent uh, freedom of expression. A supporter or advocate uh, will say there is there is a time where uh, where when there is a clear and present danger that you know uh, that you might put a temporary limit on on expression but it has to be very clear what what you mean by by that so we cannot trust only the government can have the power to do that you know it has to be more regulated more controlled so uh, for instance, uh, like in Papua, I mean, who decide when you know you, you do that? I mean you, you have to make you have to make a rule on this mm-hmm. and then it's, there should be a post audit after that. yeah so so people are not too easy, too discretionary because we had bad experiences where if you give the government too much uh, discretionary power on this, uh, you know and then it will be abuse and misuse. Mm-hmm. But
0: it, it seems in my opinion that it was very successful from the government's point of view and i think it may be the new norm to even maybe take uh preemptive action by throttling
1: uh even before rather than waiting yeah,
0: yeah. do you think that'll be a norm going forward under the, the Widodo
1: government well i think clearly that president Widodo will not be again this kind of creeping authoritarianism i think it's very much up to the civil society to fight this and to pressure the president that this is not the right way. Bung Karno dalam trisaktinya kita harus berdikari di bidang ekonomi sehingga kita tidak mudah ditekan-tekan lagi oleh siapapun oleh negara manapun dan kita juga akan mandiri secara politik.
0: Uh, I wrote an article several months ago, uh, basically saying that it's ironic that the forces that brought in Widodo to the presidency mm. are the same ones now that are quote unquote, slowing him down. And that you know, when it comes to economic growth, yeah. um, democracies can be messy, um, they can be inefficient, whereas now he wants to streamline everything. But um, public dissent isn't always helpful to a president for policies to, to promote strong growth. Mm and i remember suharto suppressed dissent for that very reason back back then this also could come at the expense of human rights and public yeah. dissent uh, as things go forward but how much of the push against dissent and the restriction of freedom of expression is coming from president Widodo
1: himself uh and what's the parliament role and what's pdip's role well i think uh clearly pdip especially pdip and uh, president mega is always, you can associate it as a conservative power. They, they like to go back to the old order, right? The, the very old order. Uh, they want to amend the constitution, for instance. And uh, But I think Jokowi, I, I think Jokowi's problem is not that he himself has a certain ideological thing that is conservative. I have to admit that Jokowi is He's not interested in 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 actually in ideology and so on. He's he's only interested in economic growth and uh, what he know about economy is basically uh, the point of view of a businessman. He is a businessman. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's a it's a very businessman outlook. And of course, if you're a businessman, you you don't actually uh, like the voice of the laborer. You yeah. don't really like the you know, the human rights and all this stuff, you you think of this as a hindrance to good business or investment. You know, you are more focused on bottom line, how to get good investment and how, because you, not because they are bad people, but uh, business people really believe that the main thing is you get everybody more prosperous. If everybody more prosperous, you get less Mm protest, you get mm -hmm. less uh, problem and so on. So it's in, in terms of, uh, Priority. The business people really believe that if you get rich, uh, you, you know you're happy. You don't you don't protest anymore. You know it's it's actually now a Chinese model. I was right? just gonna say that. Yeah. Uh, and and the problem is because the Chinese model seemed to work at least for some people, because before we used only to to fight the idea of Singapore model, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, it's very yeah. easy to dismiss if the. Singapore model, because you said, well, but Singapore is a city. still yeah, so small. Yeah. yeah, so small. But China is a very big country, and you have to admit, they, uh, whatever it is that they are doing, they have been able to get rid of a lot of uh, hundreds of millions of poverty, and they have been able to get mu- much more prosperous, and so on, and so on. So it's understandable that many people think, oh, maybe Chinese model makes sense. Especially they also spend a lot of money spending uh, on communication. You know, you, you go anywhere, you can get uh, Chinese TV, Chinese uh, mm-hmm. radio, and so on. And they even bought, you know, like South China Morning Post bought by uh, Al- Alibaba and so on. So clearly there is uh, a new narrative coming out from China. And because China has been successful economically, uh, many people are convinced that the Chinese mobile model might be working many and people, i think i think jokowi is also quite influenced by the chinese model so many people within the government you mean yeah uh, many people if you listen to what luhut for instance exactly. say, stated and jokowi and some other uh, indonesian uh, minister and even uh, indonesian business people you know they they really using the chinese model as a, a new alternative a, a new narrative and yeah the, the problem is uh, you are on the progressive side what is your model i mean i could always say scandinavian is a good yeah, model yeah. but scandinavian is a small country yeah, you know yeah. 5 6 million people you know yeah and american with trump is no longer a model yeah no they and either, yeah. england now have problem with brexit and so on so yeah. how do you counter the, the chinese narrative
0: mhm mhm interesting um so you expect this trend to continue then within the Indonesian government?
1: Well, I think uh, it's going to continue unless the civil society of Indonesia, which is usually quite vibrant, can put a break into this and turn this thing around. But the problem with the civil society of Indonesia, they, they've been split, especially uh, last year because of the presidential election. And one of the Tragedy for me is that the what I call the bad force uh, or the black force has been able to divide uh, Indonesian civil society into seemingly two camps. That if you are anti-corruption, you are against uh, uh, you are against pluralism uh, because uh, my, my friend who are fighting for pluralism in Indonesia, for instance, they know they need the, the support of the police in order to protect the minorities and so yeah, on and so right. on. Uh, so when the police and the Kapeka has conflict, they tend to side with the police. With the Kapeka. Yeah. And to me, this is a very, you know, long term, a very dangerous problem we have to face. I keep telling my friend, you know, if you are not doing anything, uh, we would be Put into a very difficult position between a rock and a hard place, where our choice for Indonesia is only either a, a fascist secular corrupt regime, or a fascist Islamic racist. Oh, you know, uh, option. These two are not a good. A good yeah. Uh, but do choice you of, you really
0: think those are the
1: so the two choices going forward, or that might could no, be the it, only two it choices? is. It is right now. If if you see the trend and you, the, you don't do anything. Uh, this is the trend that's happening in Egypt. If you take the Islamists into, in Indonesia, change it into populists, that's what happened in Thailand, right? So the military took over. That's what happened in Al-Jazeera. So we know it had happened in other countries, and therefore uh, we have to prevent that from mm-hmm. happening to us. I, I guess the civil society just have to rise up to this challenge and, and and at least the first thing to do is anti-corruption and protection of minorities, pluralism is not against each other, it's actually the same front, same page. Southeast Asia's biggest nation has a new leader. Joko Widodo is Indonesia's seventh president and represents the country's new hope for Uh, a clean government. uh, The Joko Widodo width here in Indonesia represents a clean break from the old regime in Indonesia.
0: He has a strong mandate, as you can see here, and and he especially has the trust of the people, including people who didn't vote for him.
1: They believe that Joko Widodo, who is a true underdog story, is the embodiment of the people's (laughs) hope. Joko Widodo became the first president of Indonesia to be elected from outside the military and political elite. And there was real hope, hope for a shake-up of... When
0: President Widodo came into office back in 2014, uh, there were high hopes uh, from both the domestic and international community that he would usher in additional reforms, strengthen democracy, uh, improve human rights, reduce corruption, among many other things. Uh, As time went on, though, it became clear that uh, this may not be the case. He instead supported the new KPK law, which mm. experts say weakens the anti-graft institution. Yes. Uh, his government also drafted the Criminal Code Bill, which experts believe would lead to overcriminalization mm. and criminalize some minority groups. Uh, it also appears that his second term may not include uh, efforts to strengthen democracy, uh, human rights, or freedom of expression, and that the hopes that he would resolve many of the past human rights, mm issues or abuses would not, uh, may not be fulfilled as well. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that many of his, uh, constituents, many of his, uh, constituents tend to give him the benefit of the doubt often. When I think of Widodo's first term and going into a second Mm. term now, I sometimes think of Aung San Suu Kyi Mm. in Myanmar, the de facto civilian leader there. Um, she came into office with extremely high hopes, uh, both, both uh, domestically and internationally. And as time went on, her reputation uh, became nowhere close to where it was initially. Um, her constituents also give her the benefit of the, of the doubt in Myanmar. Now, Widodo and Aung San Suu Kyi are quite different circumstances. There's, there's not a million refugees fleeing mm-hmm. Indonesia as with the Rohingya. But I can't help but look at, yeah. think of them both at, at times. Uh, when President Widodo completes his second term, in office in 2024. Uh, I sometimes wonder, might he be considered as the Indonesian Aung San Suu Kyi yeah. uh, when it comes to expectations versus reality? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think uh, since I've been in Myanmar quite a few times, I can understand it's very different comparing Indonesia in Myanmar, Aung San Suu Kyi and Jokowi, because Aung San Suu Kyi is not really governing Myanmar. I mean, Mm -hmm. he could not control the military. He could not control the police. He could not, she could not control the immigration. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically, national security, she she could not control. It's not the control in the government, civilian government. So, but she let herself being used as a international shield by the military regime, and she know, and she let it in. I think that her biggest sin is that, she didn't even make a single voice about uh, these things. That mm-hmm. She should, should make a protest. Even though she has no power in terms of controlling the military or, or the police, she at least should make a announcement, public announcement mm-hmm. of where she stands. And obviously now she decided to defend this pol- this horrendous policy. So in that sense, I think, uh, you know, I lost my my faith in Ong in Sang Suu Kyi who won a Nobel laureate piece. Uh, But on Jokowi, I think uh, there is some sense in it. I mean, uh, now it seems that Jokowi is following the Aung San Suu Kyi path in a sense that he seemed to me not to care much about civil liberties. He only care about economic development. And even now, uh, people are starting to think he might want to start a political dynasty. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. his son-in-law and his son is now running to be a mayor Correct, yeah. when he was still the president. You know, if you look at uh, even SBY, the son is only running after SBY no longer president. Yeah. Or Megawati ran as a president when his father is already dead. You yeah, know? Yeah. But this, the father is still in power and they already uh, want to grab more yeah, power, true, true. which is, you know, uh, which put uh, my impression of Jokowi lower than, than, than it used to be. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And especially uh, Jokowi now basically seem, at least people like me, very weak uh, in regard to the uh, oligarchy, the political oligarchy. I mean, it's understandable because he he's not the head of the political party. In that sense, he's like Aung San Suu Kyi. Even though he's the president, he doesn't have... A, a real power in a sense that he's not the head of any political party. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a, a big mass supporter like Gusdur have the Nahdlatul Ulama or Banzer mm-hmm. willing to die. You know, Megawati has maybe a few million people willing to die for, for her, you know. Or he's not from the military like SBY where, you know, he's so used to control the military. So in that sense, he's very weak in reality. And because he want to stay in power then he make, he have to make all this bad compromise with the mm-hmm. oligarchy uh, and, and that's that's the fact because he had he had uh, broken a lot of promises now political party leader can be a minister too uh, before he said it's not allowed yeah I remember yeah, yeah. I and, long and, document, yeah. and he, he said he want to support anti-corruption but he weakened the mm-hmm. KPK. And then uh, you know, and now what is alarming also, the police and the military have uh, become more politicized than it used to be. You know, one of the the thing that uh, the reformacy movement really want to do was to get uh, the military out of politics and also the police out of politics. But now politics are seeping into the police and uh, and the military, and now. Uh, there is more permissiveness in terms of, of breaking the regulation. I mean, for instance, for me, it's very big problem for me that Jokowi, President Jokowi, do not do anything to change our traffic law, which clearly said it's banned any two wheel, uh, you know, uh, motorized uh, vehicle to be used as a, as a public transport. And now we have how many million uh, motorcycles are being used yeah. to recraft. Interesting. Yeah, all he has to do is, why don't he just make a perpu, which yeah. is a presidential decree. Uh, that is to say, just one article to say, now I change this law so that, uh, you know, two-wheel uh, vehicle. Uh, because what is it? Because now you are teaching the people, you don't really have to care. If you are in power, you don't have to care oh, about, mm-hmm. about laws, about regulation, about anything else, which is bad. We have to admit we have many bad laws, many regulations. You change it. In democracy, you don't break the law. You change the law. Yeah, yeah. And and I think even this simple thing, Jokowi don't understand. That's a problem. Interesting. And and the problem is like this. Actually, why people are still making sort of uh, apology for Jokowi? Because many people, including myself, see Jokowi as a person, is a decent person. He's a good person. But what many people don't say out loud, he's also limited in his capacity. If you talk to him in more intellectual capacity, conceptual, you lost him. Mm-hmm. So you have to talk to him in simple, you know, like a business-to-business kind of a communication style. Then uh, he, he understand that. Then, uh, But the problem is he's now surrounded. If you stay long in power, the longer you stay in power, the more you know, what you call ass-licking mm-hmm. people around you, The more bad people are surrounding you, while good people feel not nice, so they get out. Mm-hmm. And actually, as power tends to stay longer, the president is more surrounded by, you know, bad and, and uh, self-interest people. So this is what happened. I'm glad that we have a term limit because I have, I'm, I'm telling my friend, you know, uh, you have to keep, for civil society now, you have to keep the faith that we can do better. That we have to be prepared. You know, if you are from religious background, you know, like the prophet Yusuf Time, you know, you have to face seven years of draft before you get a seven years of uh, good harvesting time. I think we know we are going to face a declining a lot of push. In, in our civil liberties, in our democracy right, and so on. So, it's a job of civil societies to fight it back, to turn it around, and, uh, and keep the faith that at one point in time we'll be able to stop it and turn it around. Many thanks
0: to Bangbang Harimurti for joining us in the studio. For Indonesia's best journalism, check out Tempo Magazine. It's in Indonesian and in English. Get all of our updates and articles at IndonesiaInDepth.com. Send your questions and feedback to info at Follow my LinkedIn for additional insights and follow us on Twitter at IndoInDepth. All the links are in the episode description. Executive producer and editor is Sean Corrigan. The episode is produced by Tanita. Research and sound engineering is by Veronica and Risky. Thank you for listening.